Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is David Yoon, author of the new novel, Version Zero. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Version Zero, how would you describe the novel? Uh, well, it's it's a thriller about the internet, um, specifically about this uh, brilliant uh, internet entrepreneur who is he's in his in his late twenties, and he really believes that tech can make the world a better place. Um, and so, when the giant social media company that he works for um, is discovered to be doing shady things with user data, he blows the whistle and is immediately fired and blacklisted in the industry, and sets about um, exacting his revenge on the big five uh, tech companies for their sins against humanity. Um, and it involves like an escalating series of hacks um, designed to expose the inner workings and show how our internet sausage is made. Um, yeah, so it was, it was that part especially was a lot of fun to write, thinking about how to break the internet. Um, and I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing version zero? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I before I you know uh, started writing full time, I w- I worked in tech for. Over 12 years, I started out doing web design and moved into user experience, which is the design of the overall product um, from not just the interface, but also how to get customers on board and how to keep them and how to get them to do what they want to do, but also how to get you, how to get them to do what you want them to do as a business. Um, So there's a psychological aspect to it. And, you know, I work for everything from social media startups to uh, corporate marketing, advertising, cybersecurity. And one company I worked at was involved in ad tech, which is, that's the technology responsible for tracking your behavior and serving ads that, you know, match that behavior. Um, The funny thing about that job is everyone I worked with to a person had ad blockers installed on every device. (laughs) So we're, we're literally like the non-smokers working at Philip Morris. That's what I like to call it. (laughs) We we made this product and none of us believed in it. And that was my aha moment. I was like, okay, there's, there's a story in here somewhere. And I'm, I'm curious, um, what was your writing journey? You just talked about working in tech and specifically marketing and user, uh, interface design. What was your writing journey that led you from that to writing and getting your first novel published? I mean, to be honest, like I've always wanted to be a writer. You know, I, my first story was in like third grade and, uh, I remember reading it aloud and making the whole class laugh. And I was like, I like this, this is great. And you know, <laughs> my second story that I read out loud completely bombed. And so I was like, okay, okay, let's, let's figure this out. And you know, from then on, I, you know, majored in English in college. I went to get my MFA at Emerson College where I met my wife, Nicola. And together, we just sort of been encouraging each other in writing um, while working our day jobs. And we had no idea how to get published, no idea how to get an agent. Um, and so it really is was a matter of time, um, just a steady drip, drip, drip of work to build a body of work that you could show an agent. When an agent did show up, we were ready. Um, 
And the rest is, I mean, it's a lot of, it's a combination of like hard work, um, just blind faith and then, and luck. Uh, and so I first got published, yikes, it was like almost four or five years ago now. My debut novel was called, uh, Frankly in Love. And it was actually a young adult novel, um, kind of a rom-com coming of age. And after that was, um, Super Fake Love Song, which is also a, a rom-com coming of age. Um, and so version zero marks my first adult, um, uh, novel, like a novel for specifically for grownups. And, and I'm curious, uh, when you, when you wrote the YA novel, did you, did you write it knowing that it was YA or did you focus on the story first and then realize that it could be marketed as a YA novel? Uh, I, I actually was approached to write, um, a YA novel because my wife, um, hit it really big with two, her first two YA novels, um, everything, everything. And the sun is also a star. And just through those contacts, they were like, Oh, you write too? send me your stuff. And lo and behold, <laughs> a lot of the stuff I was writing involved, um, what we would now call middle grade and young adult. I don't know. I just like was kind of obsessed with figuring out that period of life where, you know, you're struggling to define yourself, you know, as your very first time as an adult. Um, and separate yourself from the grownups in your life, like your teachers and your parents, and figure out what you're going to call yourself and what you're going to be, literally, when you grow up as an adult. Um, I don't know if that's like, because I so vividly remember what it's like to be a teenager, or just that I'm fascinated with the idea of defining yourself. Because I don't think that period stops, to be honest. Like, I think, um, you know, you redefine yourself at various points in life. Um, it just depends on how aware you are that you're doing it. And I'm curious about your MFA experience. How did that um, go for you and how did that impact your writing? Oh my God. Like if you can afford it, get an MFA. I know it's really expensive and everything, but um, it was magical. It was like, we're, we're in Boston, we're at Emerson college. We're just running around the city. You know, we're going to bars and smoking cigarettes and talking about writing and art and poetry. And it's a place where you can find people who are as obsessed with writing as you are, like in a really serious way. I tried starting my own writers groups because I, I was just working and I wasn't in school yet. And there's a lot of people who are not that serious or just kind of flaky or have wildly different ideas about what writing means to them. And so an MFA is a really good place to just concentrate and find people that you can later network with and really cheer on. And so everyone I met, kept in touch with, um, writers like, you know, there was Wendy Wonder and Greg Rosenblum who wrote YA books and we, we network and, and help each other out and encourage each other. And, um, so it's a great place to do that too. And I'm curious about your writing process, uh, when you're working on a novel, was it kind of the same for you when you were working on version zero, as opposed to your young adult novels, do you plot extensively or do you kind of work on the narrative and see where it takes you? What's your process? I mean, I tried plotting extensively. I did that once. Um, I like made a whole <laughs> beat sheet and like this super detailed outline. I thought I had the master plan. I thought like, oh, now all I got to do is fill in the blanks like a like a muralist, you know? And, um, and it sucked. It was like the, the result was just what <laughs> it made no sense. Um, cause I was just kind of blindly following along my own blueprint. Um, and so what I've been doing lately is, uh, my friend, he's also a writer, David Arnold. He, he said that it's kind of like, it's a loose outline. So think of it as taking a road trip at night 
um, you know what cities you're going to hit. Uh, you just don't know how you're going to get there. All you can see is what's in front of your headlights. Um, let's assume this is before GPS. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so you have a general outline of where the story needs to go. You know how it's going to end. You know what midpoint and all that stuff is going to be. But you, you give yourself room for spontaneity. And that, I think, is really important to like the artistic process. Well, I'm curious if you can talk about your work with Joy Revolution and what that is. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. Um, me and Nicola are, feels weird to call her Nicola, Nikki. Um, we're, we're both like super duper immensely proud of Joy Revolution because when we met in grad school, like we were in our first writing workshops together. Um, and we pretty quickly found out that each of us were romantic goobers and, you know, we love rom-coms and romantic romance stories. And, and we also complained that, you know, we never saw people of color in them, um, in, in a, in a capacity that was not like sidekick or lab coat technician or you know never they were never the heroes right and we would talk about this throughout the years and we tried to i don't we didn't know what we were doing we we're like maybe we can have a short story contest that we just fund for fun you know to encourage people of color to write right. their write their stories and and uh it was only until uh nikki got published and i got published that we had um relationships at Random House uh, Children's Books and that we were able to go to someone like the president, Barbara Marcus, and be like, hey, you know, we're thinking of making an imprint for love stories starring people of color, written by people of color um, for everybody, but specifically to provide a safe haven for readers of color um, to just get swept away by a good story um, and not have to worry about like racial trauma and, you know, stereotypes and things like that. And um, she thought about it for you know, a shockingly short period and was like, yes. And now we have a boutique imprint with the backing of this giant, you know, 8,000 pound gorilla in the publishing industry. It's, it's kind of a fantastic combination and we're super excited about it. That's great. And so have you published your first book yet? We're aiming for 2022, um, for a list of about four to five books. And so we've gotten tons of manuscripts and (laughs) the volume, the volume and like the high quality of these manuscripts it's so inspiring that there's all these writers out there just dying to be heard. And I don't know, I think it's a real honor to be able to, to, to read their work first and have the opportunity to publish it and and get those voices out there. That's great. Well, given your, your writing um, success and your writing experience, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Um, I've, well, first I always like to quote, uh, Margaret Atwood, who I kind of worship. And I, I saw her at, um, <laughs> this is forever ago at the Canadian embassy in Tokyo of all places. Wow. And, um, I forgot to bring my book for her to sign and I drank too much free white wine and I just made an ass out of myself at, at the signing line. <laughs> I was that guy, but, um, what she was like, you know, my advice is read, read, read and write, 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 which is. You know, read everything you can get your hands on, um, read stuff that you, you might think you won't like, you know, um, cause you never know where inspiration will come from and then write, write, write really like you can start by copying your favorites, um, write crazy stuff, write, uh, conventional stuff, just find your particular voice and that, you know, cause the, the creative, um, creative skill is a, t- is a muscle and you need to, um, you need to exercise it. Otherwise you're not going to. Be, you're not going to know what it's capable of. Um, 
But honestly, practically speaking, like I would say, just keep writing. It's it's so hard. I mean, you probably know this. Like you're writing, you're working your day job, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You're getting tons of rejection letters, and it feels pointless. But honestly, like you're building a body of work, and that's really key because when opportunity does come knocking, and that agent says, "What else do you got?" You can just say, "Here, here's a ton of stuff to read." <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. That's and great. that puts you in a great position, you know, and if, if it clicks, it clicks. If not, then you keep going. But it's, 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 um, it's a way of staying disciplined. Uh, and if you do get signed, um, as a, oh, sorry. What I wanted to say was like, yeah, if you're not signed and you're working on a novel and you don't think you have enough time to write a novel, my other advice to you is like, set a goal of like a page or two a day. Um, and you still get your weekends. You still get your vacations. I've done the numbers. If you write a, pa a page or two every day, uh, which hopefully you can find the time for, by the end of a year, you will have the first draft of a novel, I guarantee you. Um, and and you like I said, you still get your, your vacations and you still get your weekends. So it's totally doable. Nope, I think I lost you. Whoops, are you there? Sorry. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, um, I wanted to circle back to the conversation about social media and digital media and Oh, yeah. new novel version zero. Um, you talked about, you know, working at this, uh, behave, behavioral targeting or, or ad targeting company and everyone who worked there was using ad blockers. And I'm <laughs> sure you're very <laughs> familiar with, um, as you said, the big five and social media and the, um, ongoing kind of discussion and conversation about, you know, the, the impact of social media, the impact social media made on the events of January 6th. And I'm just mm -hmm. curious, like, obviously you've done a lot of reading and thinking about kind of the digital landscape for this thriller version zero. I'm curious, just in talking about real life, um, do you think the the genie is out of the bottle? Um, and where do you see things going? Oh, geez. Yeah, I, it's, it's so hard. Every technology, once you establish it, we, we just kind of use it. And, and the funny thing is, is we think we get good at it, but we actually don't. Um, like, like car technology it is like very advanced at this point and everyone's used to it, but we're not necessarily good at it. We still crash all the time. Um, you know what I mean? And right, like, te yeah. <laughs> like television has become more and more sophisticated and more ubiquitous, but that doesn't mean we've gotten any better at it. Um, the programming hasn't gotten any better. Um, it, it, when television was first invented, they had all these lofty ideals about education and opening the world up to people, right. kind of like the internet. Uh, and it quickly turned into advertising and game shows and stuff like that. And so I think the internet's going to be the same. I think social media is going to be the same. We're just, once you have technology, it never, you never stuff the genie back into the bottle. Um, all you can do is kind of manage it. And there's already, uh, there's so much talk about managing your social media. I know people, especially in the YA world, cause they, de they deal so much, so much with teen audiences who are very, very online. Um, 
they talk about taking, you know, digital detoxes and social media breaks. And, and so there's efforts, you can see people are trying to grapple with managing this technology, um, but never leaving it because, because you can't at this point, if you're not on social media and you're a public person, it's kind of weird. People start wondering about you. <laughs> like, What's wrong with this guy? You know? Gotcha. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, nonfiction, I got to say cast by Isabel Wilkerson, um, which is, uh, it's not specifically about racism. It's about the caste system in America that we sort of never learned about in high school. Um, and she breaks it down in a very dispassionate, um, blameless way. Like this is our power structure in America and this is what it looks like. And we happen to use race as a power signifier, but it's not anyone's fault. Like we didn't make it. We're stuck with it. Now the question is, what do we do with it? Um, so it's a really thought provoking book that I think provides like real answers and awareness to, um, the problems in this country surrounding race. And, uh, the, the nonfiction book that I read recently is, well, I read Max Berry's The 22 Murders of Madison May. And I just idolized that guy. So I did a panel with him last night and I was fanboying like crazy. I was like, I'm talking with Max Perry. But um, I also read The Memory Police by Yoko Ogala, um, which is this really surreal tale I found was perfect for quarantine. It's about this village where people just start forgetting stuff. Um, and actually, the memory police are like, okay, this time we're going to forget um, flowers. No more flowers. <laughs> and the next day, all the flowers go away. And the thing is, everyone's okay with it. And and it's really interesting. It's about, it's like the opposite of nostalgia. You just kind of have to experience it to to realize how similar things and a similar attitude is happening in, in, in our current lives. What we're okay with letting go. What we're okay with turning a blind eye to. It's it's It was a fascinating book. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Uh, I guess the source of truth is always my website, davidyoon.com. Uh, and I'm mostly on Instagram, but increasingly I'm being forced by society to go on TikTok, which I'm not happy about, but I'll do it. <laughs> Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with David Yoon, author of the new novel, Version Zero. The book is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And David, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Great. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Version Zero by David Yoon. Read by Kevin Free and Vivi Nguyen. Available from PRH Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. Max was 26. It was way back in the year 2018. Summer, remember? Hashtags and don't text and drive and fear of missing out in virtual reality. Selfies and the troll president and revenge porn. All that. Max walked in the white Californian sunlight. He walked into a village made of glass. The village was Wren. Wren was the world's largest social network. A social network was a computer program where many, many people could share their thoughts, photos, videos, and also share other people's thoughts, photos, videos. Then they would talk about it all. Sometimes fight mostly fight. For some reason, this kind of thing was hugely popular in the year 2018. Wren's only product was Wren itself. 
It had been started by two college kids who worked hard and pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and exhibited Yankee ingenuity and blah, blah, blah. Everyone used Wren. Everyone loved it. Everyone hated it. And as strange as it sounds, Wren was everything. People used it for news, for gossip, social plans, dining tips, political views, dating, shopping, driving directions, blah, blah, blah. As strange as it sounds, three billion people used Wren every day on their smartphones. The people could not stop themselves. They said they were addicted. Back then, being addicted to tech was considered a good thing. Tech meant anything involving computer programs, especially the ones used by many, many people. It was different from technology, which meant non-computer things, like building bridges and inventing medicines. Max wore a hoodie. It gave him entrepreneurial elan. All CEOs in the tech industry wore hoodies as symbols of egalitarianism belying their positions of supreme power. Tech CEOs could probably get everyone on the planet to chew more gum with a simple edit to their news algorithms, if they wished. But they did no such thing, for they were good men. Wren's number one rule was this. Don't be evil. One day, Max wanted to be a CEO of his very own Wren. Max wanted to put a dent in the universe, but in a good way. His benevolence, CEO Maximilian Portillo. For now, Max was in product. He walked across the colossal hexagonal green populated with Rennies playing volleyball, holding yoga poses, or lying about. Three men, Mexican maybe, were setting up some kind of epic barbecue. They eyed Max as he walked past. I am not you, Max wanted to say. I'm supposed to be Salvadoran, but I was born here. My Spanish sucks. So, you know. Max felt the constant need to explain himself. He felt it now. He entered a glass building. He passed Maurice, the African-American security guard. He waved to Amy, the ever-smiling white woman at reception. He passed through the large bullpen full of brown-skinned programmers from India and Thailand and so on. Max, though brown-skinned, was not one of them. Wren put the programmers on the first floor as a show of prowess for visitors. The popular belief was that really good programming could solve all social problems, like housing, or racism, or bullying, or sexism, or deceit, or greed, or loneliness. Anyway, Max passed through marketing with its many white women and arrived at product with its many tall and hale white men. Max was not one of them, either. Max had long given up on being one of anyone. He decided to simply be one of himself. This meant Max had no tribe to speak of, which Max disliked. 
but it also exempted him from the expectations and assumptions of a tribe, which Max liked. So Max chose his own tribe, product. And despite being the only brown-skinned one there, Max did not feel like a fly in milk. Maybe it was because Max was happily deluded. Maybe it was because product was Max's play space, a mental sanctuary where he could dream up new Ren features and generally make up his own rules as he went along, as conjurers do. Max was senior product, the youngest ever in Ren's ten-year history to achieve such a rank. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.